Hello, I'm Matt Peterson. And I'm Rich Trapier. And this is episode 30 of History on the Table. Thirty episodes in the book, Rich. I know. It's a nice round number. I like it. Yeah, those even numbers make you want to celebrate, but I don't, well, we're not we're not celebrating. I've got a drink in my hand. It feels like a celebration. There you go. And it's fall. It's fall, y'all. <laughs> that's and right. That's Absolutely. worth celebrating. Pretty nice up there today. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, in fact, yeah. we even slept outside last night. We uh, um, we were going to go camping this weekend, but we had some other stuff we had to do, so we didn't want to go out of town, so we're, we're camping in the backyard all weekend. We s- had a campfire last night, slept in the backyard. We're oh, yeah. Sleep again tonight after the recording. Nice. And then I don't know if you guys are getting it. Like, I assume if you guys have nice weather, we do. We're getting like a up uh, like 90s yeah, for Monday three days, then kind of back. Yeah. Back up to 90, but... Yeah, back those are those are short lived at this point. Sure. I think one day, one day last week, I woke up and it was in the forties. It's beautiful. We had the window open in our room, and oh yeah, it's just it's great. Actually, the, this last week, like my wife and I, we even called it like we get pretty cheesy, and I'm not afraid to admit it. Like we <laughs> called it fall y'all night, and we open up all the windows and we light like fall candles, and nice. we watch. We started watching spooky stuff and all that stuff. Oh yeah, we don't we don't really do too much for Halloween here, so. It's not not like spooky season for us, but we'll definitely, you know, I'll make it. We'll get into the the pumpkin spice and stuff like that. So sure, 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 sure. We had a big pot of chili yesterday, so that's good fall food. Nice. Probably best you're sleeping outside then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, good. Should we talk about some some war game stuff? Yeah, we should. I feel like I haven't done I, that in about a month. I I know, and I always say this like I feel like it's been forever. I've been so freaking busy. Yeah. That I've kind of just focused on the game that we said we were going to play last month. Yeah. And I feel like it's been forever, but it's only been a month. Yeah. Um hasn't been too bad for me. I've been able to play some stuff, um but yeah, it was for whatever reason both of us had trouble getting this game to the table so yeah that is that is well we'll talk about that but yeah. um let's start off with what we always talk about and that's uh, games on the shelf it looks like it was a light month for us but yeah absolutely nothing for me as far as war games anyway i bought uh i got uh, an rpg book but that's about it oh i pre-ordered Aracourt, so it's not on my shelf oh yet, but, yeah. i need to get my pre-order in for that that's the one that carl fung is working on right i know he works on all of them but that's what he he's posted designing. it um he, he he was like the lead you know, uh, i guess designer for for panzer's last stand and i think he runs the bcs page so he's the one that posted Aracourt, but i'm not sure that he's the designer on it i think he might be in, in any case it, it's a small bcs game so it looks like it'll be fun to play i think it's one map yeah nice i need to get my pre-order in for that for sure yeah, yeah he's credited and, as a designer on that one okay cool so and that's carl mmp does their pre-orders a little differently than gmt does instead of having a number that they hit basically what they do is is they give you a pre-order bonus for a certain amount of time usually like a month or so so if you buy it sometime in the next probably the time this comes out two or three weeks you're going to be able to get the game cheaper and then i think the price goes down goes up and then it goes up again until it finally gets to retail there you go yeah i'll get mine in my i i don't think we've recorded since then i think i said i was waiting on my uh last or not last but panzer's last stand to come in yeah it it is here so nice 
and he is he's also credited as as a designer on Panther's Last Stand. So right, uh, nice. So uh, I did have something come in though, and Rich, what do I have mountains of unpainted things of miniatures? Everyone, yes. Does. So I bought Games Workshop stuff, <laughs> but but they are there's nothing to paint. Really? And yes. This is, and it's actually, it's now something called Rebellion Unplugged, which is like a board game division of the 2000 AD comics, which are the Judge Dredd comics. Oh, okay. They reprinted, and all I think all they did was just reprint. They didn't really update anything. Um, two Judge Dredd games, Block Mania and Block Mania Mega Mania, and these are a like a tactical game where you are i think you can either play as like gangs in the mega cities or a band of judges and it's like mm-hmm. a tactical game that you work through different uh mega cities so is it pre-painted or is it standees or what is oh it? no it's it's like the art is so 80s and it's just like chits but in like chits are just like i don't know one inch or three quarter squares like tokens kind of yeah for the okay got it but like they, it's not new art, which is what appeals to me. And like um, Judge Dredd is just a product line that I'm super interested in. And I don't, I don't think it's like very good or rewarding. But I, I love the aesthetic, and I think it's just you know dice checking fun as you work your way through a mega city. Nice. Probably could be considered a war game. Yeah, yeah. People hitting each other. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Combat well, it's war. very tactical. Yeah, it's a game of tactical combat. So if if that's not a war game, that is. We'll actually talk about that later because a game got announced um, for a comic book that I really enjoy, and how it's described, I'm like, this sounds like a war game, but there's no way. <laughs> so nice. Um, okay, well let's talk about what we've been playing. I don't have much to report other than our featured game. Uh, I've I've played some Magic. Yeah. Some commander with some buddies and stuff online, and that's that's it. What about you? Uh, the main game I've been playing is Panzer's Last Stand, which nice. I think I, at least I mentioned it last time because I was mm-hmm. looking forward to getting it for quite a while. So I've been playing that a little bit. Um, that's actually on my table right now. So um, I played the intro scenario just to kind of get the get a hang of the rules and now i'm setting up one of the bigger scenarios now which uh, set up a two map scenario i'll eventually make myself up to the work myself up to the full f- four map campaign so but that's the main game i'm playing right now um is that still, the biggest campaign in there is, is four maps yeah the I whole game pretty good yeah size, there's yeah. there are it the whole game for that one is a four map game and how many maps are in uh last blitzkrieg do you recall I've got the BCS um, page up. If I was thinking last Burst Creek was four also. No, it's got one sixer. There you go. Oh, it's six. Two okay. four maps, two two maps, and one six. Okay. Oh, cool. no, no. I'm sorry. I misread that. You were right. Two four maps, two two maps, six one map scenarios. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. Because I, I haven't played last Blitz Creek, but I've got it. So I've got all the BCS games. Um, Yeah, I'm really loving those, which is part of the reason I pre-ordered Aaron Court so quickly. 
Um, I've got a Monday online game. We're playing historical ASL Red Factories. We are in between. We finished up get, uh, day two and we did our refit and everything. And we're getting ready to start day three. So that's ongoing. Having a lot of fun with that. Um, over what was a Labor Day weekend? I always get Labor Day and Memorial Day confused. But over Same. Labor Day weekend, um, I went to a, a friend's house and played Twilight Imperium 3. So, that that was with um, Mike, right? Mike, yes, who you Mike, met who, at Historic who lives, Fest? Yeah, pretty close to me, but I met him in KC. Yep. Look at that. Historic Fest. I know. Blossoming friendships since 2021. Yeah. So, yeah, we played TI3, and that was a blast. I mean, it's, it's a game. Well, we're going to talk about that later, but such a fun game. I've never played 3 before. I've only played T- TI4, um, and there was there was one major difference in the two games that I really enjoyed. For the most part, I still prefer TI4, but basically uh, in TI4, all the neutral planets that you know, don't start off as someone's home system they're all just free to the taking it's just a race to get to those planets for the most part the the sole exception is mechatol rex that you have to pay influence to get um and in ti3 i don't think anyone ever even took mechatol rex just because it's not that important but every planet that's neutral has some sort of defense to it, you know, and some of those are actually, it's basically a token that's, you know, face down. So you flip it over and it could be something like, Oh, there's a wormhole in this system and you lost every ship that you got in the system. Yeah. Or it could be, you know, actually it could be some good things. It could be some bad things, but I thought it added a lot to the game. Yeah. So I've, I've played three. Um, and I was when you said you had never played three before. I was also shocked that fourth edition came out in 2017, but because I was like, "Well, wait a second, I thought you really liked Twilight Imperium," and like, yeah, I, I guess I didn't realize it's, it. it's been yeah. out for that long. It still yeah. feels so new. Yeah, I had uh, heard about three, and I never got around to playing it. And then sure. when four came out, I bought it pretty soon after it came out. Nice. So, and then cool. uh, on our St. Louis War Gamers game day, we played. Washington's Crossing, which we'll talk about later, but then afterwards we played a game called Titan. Yes. Which is have you played that? Rich, do you know what the number thirty nine game on every war game ever list is? Is is that on there? Yeah. Okay. It is on there. Wow. See, I never look at the bottom. Okay, so now I know what Titan is all about. And I would agree that it's better than Zeppelin Raider. <laughs> it is better. I yeah. think it fails in the length. I love the concept. There's an old PlayStation yeah. one. It was it was interesting. I mean, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. It was just kind of weird and interesting in in a way that a lot of those 70s and 80s games are. You know, it feels like a lot of those games aren't quite as polished as today's games are. So some of them have an interesting idea, but they they need a developer or something. And that's kind of how I felt about Titan. There is it's it's an amazing concept and I'll just touch on it real quick. If you guys aren't familiar like you move around a pretty like spaced out map and yeah. can buy and recruit different troops and when you interact with someone every time you go into a hex, you recruit something. And if you've got if you've got the right troops already in your army, then basically instead of recruiting, you'll upgrade your troops. And the the big takeaway is once you find someone, you basically break off and go fight on another battle map. Right. Which is amazing. It just takes forever. Yeah, I mean, we played 
we played just a two-player game and we probably played for an hour total and half of that was the one battle that we fought now both of our titans were in that battle so one of us was going to lose the game at that point i will say that that doesn't sound as bad two-player when you play (laughs) with more people right that means everyone else is just on the sidelines while that battle resolves absolutely and that's that's what did it in yeah. for me. So there is a there is a PS one game, and the name is escaping me. And I've I've kept it in my collection all these years because it's essentially that. Like you're kind of playing chess, uh, but it's like one side's robots and one side's insects. Don't really think into the chess thing very much. But as soon as your pieces interact, then you go play this like live action battle game for each of those that, pieces. It's pretty that reminds dope. me of a computer game my brother and I used to play when we were a kid. It was called. Oh man, it was called, I can't remember the name of it, but you would actually, it was like a three stage game. So in addition to like moving on the board and then going onto the battle map, there was like a a stage before even that, where you would like custom make some of your monsters and heroes and you would grow them and get XP and stuff like that. So yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I could, I could see myself playing it as like while we're completely bombed at a con in the evening sometime. Um, but again, like you said, if it's more than two player and everybody else is just like sitting around watching you do this, right. this one battle, it, it loses it there. So, but I played it. There you go. Well, at some point you can chime in to say if it's, I think if you go look at the comics on that comments on every war game ever list that some people are a little, a little upset that Titan ranks so low, but uh, great yeah. concepts, just, just too kind of consuming. Yep. So. How about books? Uh, real quick, because I forgot, because you had already mentioned it, and I, I went to the fall talk. What are, you, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking a godmother. Nice. I Okay, so I didn't end up making us. one. So we talked about the godfather after Historic Fest, and yeah. I was telling my father-in-law about it, and I um, I knew he really liked the amaretto. Uh-huh. And I said, hey, hey, Keith, have you had a godfather? He says, I have, actually. So he started talking about it, and he says, have you had a godmother? And I said, no, enlighten me. And it's uh, it's a godfather, except instead of scotch, you plug in your favorite bourbon. So three parts yeah. bourbon, two parts amaretto, and a dirty cherry. Yep. I don't have the cherry just because I didn't have one, but I'm <sighs> drinking I'm drinking Tomstown bourbon. So. Nice. Yeah. Are you enjoying it's it? Good. Yeah, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. So I, I am out of... I like- uh, I like swapping swapping bourbon in for things like instead of a Moscow mule, you can make a Missouri mule with bourbon instead of vodka. So it's good stuff. I like bourbon. Good. I I ended up not making it. So I am drinking a King Martin, which is an Imperial IPA. Okay. Which I know you don't like IPAs, but this is like it's it's good. It's also 10 (laughs) percent alcohol. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I was at that. uh, I think I mentioned, maybe it was before we were on the air, I mentioned I was at a birthday party today for some bunch of little kids, but there was beer there. And I drank one that was, it was six and a half, which was, you know, nice. You know, it was one of those tall cans and it was six and a half. So it was enough to get me feeling yeah, good. Sure. But 10%. Wow. Yeah. Better. All right. Uh, let's talk about books. So I started, I started Washington's Crossing originally in 2000, March of 2019. <laughs> and i can finally cross it off as done. yeah yeah i think i talked about that last month did you like it yeah i ended up uh i know we were both reading it for the game mm-hmm. uh, i really liked it 
Me too. Uh, for what it's worth, I gave it four out of five stars. Yeah. Um, I just think it was... It's pretty broad overview, uh, which is good. And it's also a lot of extra information about either certain individuals. There are some individuals I, w- I wish it would have gone more into, really in terms of like the details on individuals. He's, he obviously focused on Washington, and he talked a lot about Cornwallis. And then he talked about a few other guys. Um, yeah. But like he didn't talk a whole lot about Green very much. And like, in, That's anyways, true. Yeah. I just... It was yeah. it was good. It's a good book. He did it, talk, and we can talk about this later when we talk about the game. But um, the one Hessian guy that yeah. was not where he was supposed to be because he was with his mistress. I thought that was kind of cool and funny. I love stuff like that because then you know when you play the game and you set up the game, you're like, "What's this Hessian doing way the hell over here?" Well, now you know why he was there. He had he had an interesting comment in there, and. Um, I just thought it was, I don't know at what point it was discovered, but he, he like, he made a remark that the second battle of Trenton was uncatalogued or unstudied until like the uncovering of these basically certain officers like telling yeah. of it, which I thought was interesting. Um, it kind of seemed like a big deal. So Yeah. I think one of the most fascinating parts of that book, in my opinion, was his stuff, like you said, about Cornwallis. It actually made me, I haven't done it yet, but it made me want to read a biography of Cornwallis. Yes, agree 100%. Yeah, like, because, I mean, Cornwallis, from, like, someone who just, American Revolution history amounted to grade school education and watching The Patriot a couple times. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you just assume Cornwallis is a bad guy. But he really, you know, he paints him in a, especially early on, early in the book, I mean, he paints him as a very interesting and well-liked individual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? That's kind of, I've been doing a whole bunch of podcasts and I'm finally, I'm back into Old Gods of Appalachia. So I'm wrapping up. We actually, I'm going to catch up and be in trouble. What's that? Yeah. We actually paused on that one. I'm not, well, I'm sure I'll get back to it at some point, but we paused on Old Gods. So. That's that time of year. Yeah, but I've been reading some other stuff. Um, I think I actually talked about this one before. Hungary, 1944 to 45, The Forgotten Tragedy by a guy named Perry Pyrrhic. Um, I think I picked this one up last year when I got Hungarian Rhapsody. Um, and I started reading it then and didn't love it, didn't hate it. It was okay. It was interesting, but it wasn't great. Um, I think, and I don't know this, but it, it really feels like it was written in another language, maybe Hungarian, I don't know, and translated to English. So it reads like it was kind of poorly translated. Um, but it's got some good information in there. And I paused at some point a few months ago because I got busy and I picked it back up uh, when I got Banzer's Last Stand and finished it off. So it's it's a decent book. It's not great. I wouldn't highly recommend it, but it wasn't terrible. Nice. Yeah, and then... One that I did completely give up on was The Reckoning by Prit Buttar, who he's written a bunch of books. He wrote like wrote like a trilogy about the East Front. He's written World War One stuff. Um, I just did not enjoy it. This one is about the end of the war. And I think it's specifically about Army Group South. So, you know, I was hoping to get some good information about, you know, Hungary and the fall of, you know, the, the southern countries. 
just didn't enjoy it at all. I mean, I made it a couple chapters into it. I I tried reading, go back, read some more. It's just so dry. Hmm. Um, and sometimes I'm up for a book like that, but lately I've been more and more interested in personal stories about wars and battles and stuff like that. So I just couldn't get into it. I probably will finish it at some point. Um, you know, last year I played Jaws of Victory, which covers the the Corson Cherkasky pocket. So he had a whole chapter about that book. There was some interesting stuff in there, but just overall, it's a very dry book that I didn't enjoy. So I'm I'm pausing on that one for now. Fair enough. And then sort of the exact opposite of that, which I'm I just started this, but I'm really loving it, is About Face by Colonel David Hackworth. Um and he was he started I didn't realize this, but he actually started as an enlisted man during the Korean War, and obviously he made it up to Colonel somehow. I haven't made it that far into the book, <laughs> but this one is very much a soldier's memoirs, and I'm enjoying the hell out of it so far. Nice. Yep. Cool, cool, cool. I'm going to mark that one as uh, want to read, which I've done. All right. Uh, should we play a little game? Uh-oh. War game, game, game. It's the War Game 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 time. Come on down, Rich, and everyone else. You can play at home and not win a prize, but brag about how great you do. Yep. With a big old asterisk, because you'll never beat Mitch. Except I for maybe so this well month. I did well last time. I feel like I'm going to get to like one or two this time. Let's see. All right. Oh, I, I get always, my free guess. I always get a You free do guess. get your free guess. Okay. I'm looking around for something good. Mm. Central America. Nice. No. No. All right. <laughs> if I was still if I was still going around with the uh, look around my bookshelves approach myself, you might have gotten lucky. Also, I think you may have guessed Central America before, but um, yeah, probably I mean, because that doesn't when I turn from, from where I'm sitting, that's like the first game I see on my <laughs> nice. shelf. <laughs> nice. All right, um, let's go with yeah, all. Uh, Oh, speaking of which, so Central America is sitting right there in Vietnam, 65 to 75, sitting right on top of it. I saw in the uh, the War Games for Sale game on Facebook page, someone is selling the old Vietnam game for $120. And I'm like, really? (laughs) Is anybody really going to buy that? And if they do, they're going to be really angry at themselves in a couple of months. (laughs) I I don't even know if that was the going price for it. (laughs) <laughs> no because i bought mine before the reprint got announced i bought mine for like 60 mm. yeah that seems about right <laughs> all right uh let's yeah i'll give you i'll give you one right down the middle to start you off excellent designer on the middle i'm not gonna out of the park mark simonich oh simonich i love it ukraine 43 no this game was published in 1996. Yes, 96. That doesn't help me at all. 96. Simonich game. I don't know. Go and on I'll, and I'll give you, and it was reprinted in 2018. Oh, okay. That helps a little. A little freebie. Simonich game, though, just reprinted. France 40. No. Okay. All right, uh, that's 2.3 clues. <laughs> Down uh, to 7.7. <laughs> originally, this game was published by Avalon Hill. I believe. What did you say, 96? 96. 
96 Avalon Hill. I I should I may be wrong about that. Either Avalon Hill or Valley Games. That doesn't help. I think there's um, Avalon Hill. Samurai. No. No. All right. I'm just random guessing now. Okay, that's 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 three clues. This this game is a, it's a card driven game. Card driven game by Seminich. Yep. Um, using the system similar to We the People. Um. So We the People. That's that's the American Revolution game, or is that the uh, Civil War game? I always get those two confused. That's the American Revolution game that was reprinted as Washington's War. Okay, so there's a Civil War game that's similar to that one, and I believe that one is called... It's not called We the People. Um, damn, what's it called? I think I'm narrowing in on it. Is it a Civil War game? That would be an no. extra clue. It's not a Civil War game. No, oh. and that'll lead a clue. Well, then right. I, won't, I won't waste our time trying <laughs> to remember the name of it. <laughs> All right. You're, you're for thinking the people. That's where that one was Yeah, you're thinking of yeah. Herman's For the People, okay. which this is not that. Okay. Um. Does does art listed artists do anything good for you? Is it going to be Roger McGowan? <laughs> no. I don't no. think it would help, though. Also, because Mark Simonish is one of the listed artists and probably the only artist you would know. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is probably a big clue. Um, Phalanx Game is the most recent publisher. Phalanx Games. Okay. Phalanx Games. Um, wow. I did not know that Mark Simonich did anything with Phalanx Games. It's a card-driven game. Older game that was reprinted by Phalanx Games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My knowledge of card during games is very, very low. It's obviously not Twilight Struggle. It's not... Uh, what's the World War One game by Ted Racier? Paths of Glory. Paths of Glory. It's obviously not that one. I don't know. Go on to the next one. I think I'm gonna. Be, this is going to be terrible. No. Uh, see, I, I, I'm being nice to our listeners because mm-hmm. I, I've already figured it out, but I want them to hear all the clues. Oh, that's that's very kind of you. <laughs> well, now we're going to dive into the obvious clues. I think I've given you four or five. Okay. Depends if we count the Civil War one or not. Uh, okay. This game covers the struggle between ancient Greece, or not ancient Greece, ancient Rome and Carthage. Is it just called Carthage? Nope. No, that'd be that'd be too easy. Uh, okay. Keep going. Thought, thought that would have done it, Rich. Um, well, I already had my guess. I could take more guesses, <laughs> but that would be too nope, fair. No, nope, I'll give you a, um... I have, I have not played many ancient games. That's all right. Um... It's, is it Successors? No. No. Because I've played that I one. I can't answer that, because... Okay. And that's not out <laughs> yet. Successors? Well, I've got the older version. It's a good game. I like it. This oh, I didn't realize it was getting reprinted. Okay, yeah, successors right. is yeah. It's I've got the older version. This game was the recipient of the Golden Geek for Best Two Player Board Game and Best Board Game Award, and is currently ranked eleventh 
on BGG's board game rankings. Wow. It's pretty high. So it's not Carthage. It's not, um, it's not the Pelopolin. Pelop- <laughs> no. <laughs> Trinking my godfathers. Cause you're, that's Mark you're sticking on Herman. No. Yeah, I know. That's Mark Herman. Um, it's the, so the other one I'm thinking of that I've played that I enjoyed is not a two player game. It's a four player game. That one is Rome versus, or no, no, yeah, that one's Rome versus uh, Greece. What's that one called? Looking over at my shelf, Pericles, but it's not that one because that's a four-player game. Nope. All right, keep going. You okay. Smalls. Um, this is set during the first Punic War to narrow down the Rome and Carthage line a little bit. Ooh, what's that game they played at Donkey Kong? Is that no. the one? No, that's not it either. That's Carthage. <laughs> that was Carthage, okay. Yeah. <laughs> either either Carthage or the other one. I think they played Carthage. There's two of those, and it's not Yeah, I think it one. was. Oh, gosh. I don't know Ancients games. I haven't played many. I've got SPQR, and it's still in the box. I need to play it. That's okay. Uh, let's see. A main actor or Hannibal. person of what's that? Hannibal. Ding 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 ding. There we go. <laughs> yeah, I would have accepted Hannibal, Rome versus Carthage, or <laughs> Hannibal and Hamilcar. Either oh, one. Yeah. yeah, I've never played that game. In fact, I remember when they reprinted it, and it was kind of a big deal because a lot of people were excited about it. But uh, I never played it. I don't. I mean, I'm sure I know someone that has it, but like no one has ever come to me and said, hey, let's play this game. Yeah, I would play it again. I think if like I sat down and someone's like, oh, I really want to play a card driven game set in ancients, I'd probably just pull out um, Rome, uh, Caesar versus Gaul. Yeah. Really? So you you like that one? Yeah. Because I've got got a local friend that it's, it's. I hope he doesn't, he doesn't listen, so it doesn't matter. Um, but I hope he doesn't think I'm avoiding him. But like every like Thursday or Friday, he'll message me and he'll be like, hey, do you want to play a game this weekend? I'm like, uh, I'm busy this weekend. I already made my plans. So I kind of want to say, let's plan something two or three weeks from now. Yeah. And then, you know, we can play something. But I know one of the ones he's been talking about was playing Caesar, Rome versus Gaul. So yeah, that's, that's right. I said Rome, Caesar versus Gaul. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Season so that's numbers. yeah that's one and have you played successors i know i mentioned i've that. not played successors but caesar does the same things in my opinion that yeah. hannibal does okay but better combat i i like everything about hannibal it's just and we've talked about it before it's like all right i'm gonna play an attack that attacks your left side you play a card that answers that and we go until excuse me someone can't answer i didn't even realize it got down to that level I thought it was like way more strategic. Oh, it is. It it is. But like when your armies meet, all you're doing is playing like left flank, and then you would play right flank. Okay. And then so kind of like we the people, the I way they do we their the combat in the first version, and they revamped their combat system when they reprinted it into Washington's War. But we the people has what sounds like a similar combat system. Yeah, uh, and so Caesar drops that and achieves. They, they play very differently. Okay. Uh, but they scratch the same itch. I do like Hannibal a lot. I just like the combat system a lot more than Caesar. When they reprinted it, didn't they include minis too? Yeah, and I don't mind them. It yeah. makes it kind of like stored in it, kind of a pain in the ass, takes up more space than it needs to. 
they're completely unnecessary. Also, now you got me on this rabbit hole. Like, they're unnecessary because, like, the standees are better. And then, like, when you have, like, it's hard to tell the generals apart, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, my copy of um, Successors, it's got the standees, which are fine. But, like, I don't have enough of the, the little... Or maybe, I don't know if not enough, but enough, not enough colors for the little plastic holders that hold the standees. So I remember last time I played that game, I was like, I need to go on Amazon and just like order some more of these so that, cause we played it. I think when we played it, we played like maybe four or five players. I don't, I don't remember. Don't call, call me on that. But, um, I remember we didn't have enough colors. I didn't know, uh, uh, successors was like multiple people that's cool yeah yeah it was a fun that's game. going into its fourth edition nice wow. two to five people cool so what did i end up on three yeah somewhere around there somewhere around there yeah <laughs> i bet i bet i bet mitch got eight after seven <laughs> yeah. in 96 let's be honest <laughs> it's pretty good uh All right. I, I i may have misspoken about the i don't i think Avalon Hills listed first, and I think Valley Games was the version you could get for a while. Um, but I'm sure someone, and I could also be thinking about Titan because Valley Games Valley also Games. printed um, Titan. Who made Who made Titan? Valley Games. Did they had they a have? Titan version. Okay, all right. And it's it one of those things like, which version do you get? Yeah, uh, yeah. That version of Titan that we played, it was like, I mean. God love the guy that brought it, but he brought out like this stack of dusty games and he brought out his version of Titan and he had like all the stacks of like the little, you know, the creatures and everything. And the rubber bands were all like dry rotted and everything <laughs> nice. and everything is just completely falling apart in the box. It was hilarious. Nice. nice, 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 nice. All right, Rich, it is time for a featured game. And it I is. will say that other than BCS, long anticipated. Featured I, that's game. what I was going to say. Like BCS, and ASL maybe the only two other kind of things that have been like more talked about that haven't ended up on the list yet. Yeah. Because Washington's crossing will come up in passing like, Oh, I heard that's good. That's like GCCW, but the American revolution. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it is finally time to talk about Washington's crossing. Absolutely. Revolution games, nice thin box. It's a small game. It's, it's a one mapper. Um, it's got a couple little uh, side sheets to track the armies, but it's basically it's it starts on either Christmas Eve or Christmas, depending on which which scenario you play. But it's Washington crossing the Delaware and attacking Trenton. Yeah, and then uh, so, so first Trenton, second Trenton, and then Princeton um, yep. or more because it's um, well. Hold on, let me, let's back up. This is a 2012 game. Uh, designed by Roger Miller. I think you mentioned it was uh, published by Revolution Games. And here's a little tidbit I did not know. This is supposed to be part of a series. Yeah, I think you had mentioned that one other time to me. That was, I think you're the first person that ever told me that. And a little disappointed that it didn't become that way. But, you know. Yeah. Like, I, I like battle I'm... him. <laughs> oh, how dare you. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you're right, because I was going to say, like, oh, I can't wait for the next game, but then realizing that this game first came out in 2012, so I don't yeah. I don't know what happened there, or maybe, um, yeah, who knows. Um, yeah, so let's, yeah, let's set the picture first. So this is, uh, for those that don't know, and that's okay, because I didn't know, I, I honestly didn't know a whole lot of, like, the historical events of the American Revolution 
other than like what you learn in high school and stuff. So militarily Which, yeah, wise, definitely like, won't. I mean, you may have heard or seen the painting of Washington crossing the Delaware, right? But that doesn't tell you too much about it. And there's some nice comments in in the book we mentioned. Um, yeah. Which let's let's just get that out of the way real quick. If you want to read a book on this topic, I think Washington's Crossing by David Hackett Fisher is like going to be your go to. Yeah, I can't. I've definitely never read anything better than that. Um, yeah, at least on this topic, Washington's Immortals covers it a little bit. Um, but yeah, Washington's Crossing is about this. So. And New York 1776 barely touches on it, which is the. Uh... Oh, he's he writes a ton of books. Shit. Oh. I don't think I've read that one. So. Oh, it's super good. Well, it'll come to me. I'll look it up later. Maybe it's yeah. just called. It's early war, though, yeah, so that's important. Right. And obviously, this is a huge battle because this was kind of the battle. Um, and Washington's Immortals goes into that. But, you know, Washington had been kicked out of New York and chased away. And this was sort of the battle that made the the Patriots, the Americans realize that, hey, we can actually win this thing. Yeah, um, exactly. So British lands on Long Island and basically just like. Lots of slow decisions and outmaneuvering and lots of retreating by uh, Washington and the Colonials and all the way back into New Jersey. And so winter comes and basically everyone kind of settles down and, you know, Brits are threatening Philadelphia and all this stuff. And Washington basically decides to go on the offensive, which leads to the first battle of Trenton, the second battle of Trenton. On Christmas and the the Battle of, of Princetown. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the book I was thinking of was 1776 by David McCullough. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Um, I've read something else by him, Battle Cry of Free... No, what did he write? He wrote something oh, else. Oh, so many. Mornings on yeah. Horseback, um, John Adams, Wright Brothers. I have the Wright Brothers book. I've heard Mornings on Horseback is fantastic. I think Ty recommended the book. Anyways, uh, so... You're right. Uh, there was there was an interesting comment in this book. Like there was the pamphlet that was written beforehand that really like started to turn morale into American favor. Oh yeah, I prior to, which I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that but was you're, good. You're right. After getting skedaddled out of New York, um, Washington comes in. They they kick the Hessians' ass at Trenton. Basically, the Hessians were holed up in Trenton for the night. And they get there basically marching through a nor'easter on mm-hmm. Christmas, get there, take the town, no Hessians, very minimal Hessians are able to like get across this bridge. They think they're surrounded, they're not. By the time they realize it's too late, then they are surrounded. They're able to yeah. defend themselves. And they were at, tr- at reduced strength because one of their commanders was several miles away at his mistress's house. Right. Who his mistress might have been an American spy that was holding them there on purpose. Was that in the book? I don't remember that. Yeah, they talked about how they didn't know for sure who she was. They had some okay. ideas of maybe they knew who right. she was, but they thought that she might have been an American spy that was doing that not just on accident. And there were there were different like cries, not cries for help, but there were different requests from like all over the front. Like there had been different like probing attacks and different raids by the Americans. So the Americans hold capture Trenton. They then hold at Trenton, and then when Cornwallis comes onto the scene, so it was Rawl. Um, was the commanding officer of the Hessians at Trenton on the British side. 
Cornwallis comes, they basically think that they have Washington pinned down in Trenton. They've got a weakness. They won't be able to recross the Delaware. The Colonials basically march behind Cornwallis and go into Princeton. And it's just this series of defeats raises morale, crushes British yeah. morale. They cut and, off their lines of supply behind yeah. them. And, yep. Instead of doing, instead of basically hunkering down and doing, waiting for the counterattack, Washington's like, well, let's just march around and hit him in the rear. Yeah, they someone like approached him like, hey, here's this road that the, um, I was going to say Mormons, that's not right, the, <laughs> the Quakers use. Yeah. And it was like an old Quaker road that they found that led them into Princeton. And there was a German officer marching out of Princeton when Washington's army arrived. Yeah. Which I thought, I thought was interesting. So, um, crucial battle. And so this game is a depiction of those battles. Um, and, and I'll let you, or we can do it however you want. I think the one thing I want to say really quick is... And we've mentioned it before is this I had always heard this is like GCACW, but for the American Revolution. Yes. And I and agree. I'm going to have comments on that, but I think yeah. that is a good selling I, point. It is very similar. I can see why people say that. And it's funny because as much as I love GCACW, this game does not attain those heights. And I'm not I'm not entirely sure why. I have a few ideas. Um but it just, it doesn't match up to me. So part of the reason that people say that is because you have fatigue with movement and battles and you have to track fatigue. So that's, that's certainly a part of it. Um, just sort of, if you know nothing about this game, I just want to give you kind of an idea of what it feels like to play the game. So it is a one map game. Um, on the map, all you have is commanders. So you don't have troop strength or anything like that. You just literally have the names of commanders or detachments if you need to break someone off. Um, so I like that because it's very you know low counter density or whatever. Although sometimes you could have like five commanders in the same hex and that's fine. Yeah. Um, each side has uh, basically a, a chart that shows how many troops each commander has and just, you know, how many troops we're talking about. The British typically have more troops than the Americans. They might have maybe a couple thousand. The Americans are typically in the four to 800 range. So the Americans kind of have to gang up several commanders in order to equal numbers on the British, but that's fine. Um, the interesting thing is it is very hidden, troop strength you know you don't know what your enemy has you may see that Rawl is on the map there but you have no idea if he has 200 troops or 2,000 troops and you don't know that until you you get up in his face and start going to battle with him so that I really like about the game yeah and so similarities for what we've talked about in GCCW in addition there there is essentially a role to move. It, it's a little yep. different. I don't know if we need to go into the details. And you can kind of you can kind of roll once, or you can use one roll for everyone as long as they're daisy chained. Uh, so yeah. you got a or little if bit of, with Washington. Yeah, you got a little bit of a role to move. You've already talked about the fatigue, and then you kind of have the command sphere of NGCCW. You may be familiar with. All right, here's Lee, or here's Longstreet. I'm going to use Longstreet to activate all of Longstreet's division. Yeah. In, in but you this. can even chain it that it's been a while since I played GCACW, but you can't chain it in, in no, GCACW. No, no, no. You're, you're doing Longstreet's division. You're not right. like using Lee to activate Longstreet in. Right. Um, Jackson, and in this what, game, 
you can use Washington to activate this guy and then yeah. he can activate these two guys. So, yeah. Yeah. You would use Washington and spend his points. And basically you have an allowance of activation points. You're not rolling for activations and you can bank them. So every turn you get eight activation points and let's say it costs four points to activate Washington. So you spend four of those and you say, all right, Washington, you're going to activate green and uh, Sullivan. And they each have their own command ratings. So then mm-hmm. green, under the same activation of Washington, stand with me here. Washington activate green. Green then activates Sterling, Stephen, Femroy, and Mercer. Yeah. So through Washington, you got four guys. And then you also did Sullivan through Washington, and he's going to grab St. Clair, Glover, and Sergeant. Yeah. So you've and just activated seven guys daisy-chaining off of the chain of command from Washington. And while while we're talking about activation, that's sort of my first problem that I had with this game. According to the sequence of play, you spend activation points, you activate as many people as you want to activate, you can then do some by die roll, but then after all of your activations, that's when you go to movement. For me, I forgot who I activated by the time I get to movement. So I I found there there was no good way. I mean, you can always use a cube or a a Tyler spacer or something like that to mark who's been activated and who hasn't. But that felt very clunky to me. Yeah. And it also loses. So like, I think, I think what we can kind of do is like, all right, here's how GCACW makes us feel. Yeah. And here's where this just misses. Uh, I will overall say this is a very good game that I thought captured Trenton very well, actually. Either playing the quick start. I I played the quick start a little bit, and then I played the campaign. I fired up the quick start on Vassal and then played the campaign solo on the table. Um, And and the difference between the two, for those who haven't played this, um, I would compare it very much to Empire of the Sun in which it's not worth playing the first turn yeah, right. because you're just going to wipe out Pearl Harbor. It's better to jump into the second turn with a yeah. preset because the first turn, all you're going to, the British literally, according to the rules, can't activate anyway. Yeah. The first two actually. So it's better to just jump into it where you're going to get to where the British can do something. Agreed. I agree a hundred percent. I was actually going to make that comment. Um, but yeah, just jump into it. Um, I mean, I do like the more free-flowing, like, oh, you could go this way or this way, but you're you're still going to go after Trenton. Um, yeah. So, in GCACW, it's alternating activations. You roll a die, you see who wins, and that changes the game state so much. Right. Here, you have a very rigid... No, rigid is not the right word. I think but, rigid is the right word. This so, game feels more scripted to me, and it's not just because of that. I'll let you finish what you're going to say, because I, I feel that way. It's... Instead of the back and forth, you go American command phase, which is where you activate and get those activation points. American movement. If it's night, you do a recovery. Then British command, British action, movement, action, battle, all that stuff. And so there's not this randomness to like, oh, who's going to get the initiative and go for it. It'll always be the the uh, Americans. W- w- Americans. There are limited rules for reaction. I think it's four hexes, if I remember right. Yeah, and and the Brits, I mean, at least for the first few turns, there's not going to be any British reaction. They're just too spread right. out. Maybe later in the game you'll get to it, but... Sure. Um, so that's, like, where the first miss was for me. Yeah, and just, like I said, the game really felt scripted to me. There was two particular things. So, um... 
like you said, everyone has to roll to move unless you're Washington or unless Washington activates you. In, in either case, you get basically the maximum amount of movement points. Now, I know American Revolution games, every game I've played have always given Washington some kind of bonus, but for a roll-to-move game to say that Washington and everyone who activates under him, which can be quite a bit, they automatically get the maximum movement, that that kind of felt like an unfair bonus to me. And I will... The, go ahead. Let me chime in on that. I would agree, except when I played my, my quick start game, Yeah. like, you know, you're set up there, uh, basically Washington and Green are on one stack, and right next to them is Sullivan and Rawl is set up in Trenton and Rawl has a thousand guys. So if you really want to get to 2000 guys, you need to bring everyone in against Trenton. Yeah. Which you can do by picking people up with Washington, but I rolled a zero and in this game, a zero (laughs) is a zero. So even with Washington's plus eight, but with the, with the snow, um, and I was at fatigue two, I had not enough movement points to on the very first turn, which you should do to pick up everyone and go into Trenton. So I had to go into Trenton with only half the American forces yeah. that you typically. So I never got to Trenton on the first turn, but, but on the, the quick- British don't get to activate the first two. Usually I go first turn and then I attack Trenton on the second. Well, turn. on the quick start though, on the oh, quick the start, quick you're start. right okay, next to it. Trenton. Oh yeah. Like, you start like off attacking Trenton. On that yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. But I bonked the roll cause you kind of got to backtrack to go pick up. Because if, if you're going to attack with everyone, you got to be in the same hex. And, and that actually it brings me to the second place where I feel the game is overly scripted. So in before every battle, you basically roll for surprise. Um, and other systems do this. OCS does this. Um, and people have complained about this in OCS. They're like, it's crazy that I can have this attack and I can, in OCS, you can literally end up with a six-column shift due to surprise. But it happens. Um but in Washington's Crossing, when the Americans t- attract Trenton, they get a plus seven bonus to their surprise attack, which basically is going to be like an automatic, you know, you can think of it as like a three or four column shift if you think of it in those terms. So <coughs> it almost feels like no matter what, no matter what you do, that battle is done. Washington is going to force the Brits to retreat out of Trenton. And if you're going to preset that battle, start after the battle, you know, have another scenario, which they don't have that starts after that battle and let the Brits go from there. Um, that yeah, just or annoyed, the, annoyed me about the game. Or let the Brits act differently. Yeah. I mean, you have this, you have this hidden information in place. Yeah. Um, if that's, if you want to do that, then great. Like start everyone like back in Newtown and near Burlington and Bristol and all that stuff and let them march to the Delaware river and like, just see the leaders spread out. And as the Brit, like where's Washington going to attack instead, you just kind of, you are, I actually agree with that. I didn't think about that. And here's, I do want to follow up on the surprise because if you, if you go read Dean's comments on in the OCS rules about the surprise attacks, uh-huh. even if you get a six-column shift, if you look at the results on those columns, yeah, it sucks, but it's yeah. not like a six-column shift. Your results aren't that different if you still rolled really well. Right. If you get and the in max Washington's supp- Crossing, on that, at least on the initial Battle of Trenton, yeah. I, I, I can't... L- 
I can't say for sure without looking at the table and the numbers in front of me. I don't think there's any way that the Americans cannot force a British retreat in that initial battle. Yeah, so like the worst you could get, because it's also a dawn attack if you're playing the quick start scenario. Oh yeah, that's right, dawn So that's attack plus too. 10 on your surprise. Yeah. It, you're probably doing a hasty attack. <laughs> and I think you get plus one just for being American as well. Uh, that's I think that's on the move, but oh, it is okay. snow, so then you get another plus two. Yeah. So a worship plus eleven, an eleven is a plus three. And this is on a D ten roll. <laughs> right. Right. So it's the you're right. The surprise modifiers are more impactful here, and I get that. Now later on, I, I well I didn't have an issue at it at first because like even though I'm playing solo, I'm in the mindset of the Americans. So like one of my combats was like 90% lost for the Hessians. And because yeah. of my surprise roll modifier, my losses for the Americans were minus 15%. So I didn't take any losses. It's like, Oh, got Trenton. And I picked up six points. Yeah. Um, that's a good point though. I, I like that. I think that's valid, but what, what about after Trenton? After Trenton, I mean, like I said, the the Brits definitely do have the bigger armies. Um, so really, it's just a map. But the Americans have more armies, which historically, that's sort of what happened is the British are like, OK, we're going to bring the big fist and we're going to go back to Trenton. And Washington's like, well, I'm going to take my armies around you and I'm not going to fight where you want to fight. So that, I think, reflects the situation in the history pretty well. I think um, it kind of reminds me a little bit if you've played, I know you don't like coin, but I don't know if you've played falling sky, but falling sky, when you play the Romans, you're the big fist and you want to take the big fist and go around and smash everyone. And the goal of everyone else is to make you break that big fist up. So similar in this game where the Brits want to bring a huge commanding army and smash Washington and Washington wants to use his multiple commanders to divide things up. But because of act, uh, command span and command radius and all that, you divide up too much, then all of a sudden you're using more action points relying on die rolls, things like that. So after the Battle of Trenton, I think it gets better. Less less scripted. Yeah. And Rich, you mentioned a couple of like, but, and we don't need to go into the mechanics. I think what is important in this game, when when Rich Mitch mentions command um, radius and span, you want to leave things grouped. And so like, just like in GCACW, like your movement needs to be intentional to leave things to their maximum efficiency. And I like that. I yeah. think it's like it makes it a fun war game and also a bit of a puzzle. And it's good. Yeah. Um, I think another area where this misses the charm in GCACW, and maybe it's not fair to compare it this way, but you, like this is what you're going to do, uh, is the fatigue system. Yeah. The fatigue in GCCW is like a pressure luck deal. And even like, even as basically this is, you move your guys, you take a fatigue. And if, if you, not if you activate them, it's just like, if you decide to spend movement points, you you're going to end up taking movement points, right. which that's sort of interesting too, because you could be at a ferry and basically have to roll to see how many guys can cross the river. So if you activate, but then you decide not to move because there weren't enough boats or whatever. You don't have to take fatigue for that. You don't have right. to take fatigue until you actually spend movement points. I never, I never th felt like I was like pressing anything. No, though. no, it's not like in GCACW where 
there are real hard decisions. These guys are at fatigue too. Yeah. How hard do I want to push them? And, and I think part of the reason for that is there's no fatigue from combat in this. I mean, there is, there's no fatigue result from the CRT. Right. You will fatigue by right. virtue of just going into combat. But right. So Whereas you're only going in GCACW, up to yeah. you, you, there are actual fatigue results on the CRT. Right. Yep. Um, some things I thought this did well. Uh, I think we're both in agreement. Like it captures the history mm-hmm. pretty good. Um, Once you I, finish Trenton. Yeah. Well, sh- well, yeah. I guess it, it, well, it technically captures Trenton very well because yeah, you're probably right. Like, I don't know right. how the Americans lose that unless they're playing the campaign and they decide to like, yeah, ooh, they maybe I can not to go for it. Sure. Or no, no, no. <laughs> like maybe they're like, Ooh, maybe I can take it with, you know, just a thousand guys and like yeah, get really yeah, aggressive. Maybe. Yeah. I, I will say, like, it's almost really guaranteed in the campaign because then you can, like, maneuver and surround it and get the flanking bonuses. Yep, absolutely. Flanking bonuses here are similar but simpler than GCCW. Basically, you count the hexes and then subtract two, which is very similar to, but you don't really bring in the Zoc stuff. Yeah. uh, For modern. Anyways, um, I know you get victory points in some GCCW scenarios for manpower losses i loved that the battle outcome awarded points in this game like it just made the outcome that much more exciting like if you really kick someone's ass you're going to pick up six points and that's and like you gotta have pretty specific outcomes for that i just like that like it was a little thing that in addition to like oh yep we're uh like we've somehow we've captured Amboy as the Americans and we picked up a whole bunch of points there, but every battle you fight has the chance to score you some points. I like that. Yeah. And one thing I will mention, because we're talking about battle outcomes. So the CRT is measured um, in there's a retreat results, but there's basically for the most part, it's percent loss. So I don't have a problem with that on its face. But it does introduce some bookkeeping to the system because, you know, for example, that initial battle of Trenton, if you're playing the Americans, you might be bringing five different commanders into that battle. So you're going to look at your sheet and you're going to say, okay, 810 plus 200 plus 300 plus 900. You have to add all those up. The British, in that case, you're only going to be dealing with one, but later it changes as well. And then you have to say, okay, the Americans lost. 10%. 10%. So I had 1,400 total. I need to lose 140 from these five armies. It's not the worst thing in the world, but it's not simple either. This was probably my biggest knock. Yeah. Um, and, and it's two things that kind of go hand in hand. One, you want to have this hidden information system. Yeah. Well, when I played on the table, like the American, the British display is pretty small. It's just one eight, you know, normal sheet of paper. The Americans is a page and a half. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's a weird, like, in-between size. How, how are you going to keep your manpower numbers secret Yeah, using the system provided? And then, which is, okay, you couldn't come up and with that. And you track like, fatigue on that same sheet as well, you which can is com- fine. You can use a three-ring binder or something, whatever, to hide that. Fine, that's a little complaint. I actually, like, on paper, I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like, I'm keeping track. Like, he's got 1,900 guys. But then when I started to play... And then 
the bigger issue is exactly that. I marched into Trenton and I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I'm looking at my notes like you need scratch paper for this game. Absolutely. I had to total up eight different manpower allocations to total up my Americans. And it's like, I know you're doing that in other war games. I know you're totaling up attack strength and stuff. But like when the counters are all around the hex. Right. It's easy. Here, yeah, I got to say, okay, Mercer is in the hex. He's attacking. Let me go check my manpower strength. All right, Mercer's got 130 guys. Yeah. Jot- it's funny because when I played this, it annoyed me. But then when I think about it and I put it into words, I'm like, why does this annoy me? Right. And, and I don't know why, but it does. I, th- I think it's the, you have to check, all right, who's there? Then you got to find them on your sheet. Yeah. Then you got to remember the number. And then you are just like, all right, oh you know steven is also there gotta find his number jot it down and so it's just this back and forth and it's also like then when you go to look at the numbers just by virtue of how they do it you have a thousand point shit a hundred point shit and a tens place shit right and so it's like then it's just it's not streamlined yeah i felt all along so and and no way to mark activation and trying to track fatigue and losses and all that i felt like and I don't know what it would look like, but I feel like if there were better player aids, it would make this game a lot better. Yeah, agreed. Or just I, I and he gives credit to GCACW. Yeah. And and another system. I don't remember which it is. So like obviously he is pulling from that. And I get he's he's trying to make his own thing, which I appreciate it. It's just just use manpower markers underneath like throw it <laughs> yeah. under washington and yeah. just say you can't look under washington and it, w- it would be less yes exactly you don't have to give the opponent permission to look at it but um yes you would lose the granularity uh, you know maybe maybe washington doesn't have 150 guys maybe he has three strength you know right and and the granularity that that's kind of my other and this ties into it in GCACW, you're activating, you roll to move, you got your number, and you you may add some numbers, and you just go. Here, it's it's very like I don't mind mathiness in my games. If you go listen to last episode, I really liked the math spreadsheet nature of uh, Buffalo Wings. Yeah. But here it's like, okay, I have eight activation points. I'm going to activate Washington for four. Eight minus four is four. I've got four right. activation points. Well, He's got Washington com- gets six to right. spend on other guys. He's got yeah. a command span of six. Green's yeah. cost is three. <laughs> Green has a command span of five. Green can go command five guys. Here's exactly. four guys. One, two, three, four. Green has one left. I'm not going to activate anything left. Okay, Washington's got three. Great. Here's yep. Sullivan. He can do four other guys. Okay, now and I'm going to move these guys. When I said, and then... By the time we get to the movement phase, I don't remember who I activated. Yeah. I'm going to move these guys. All right. I'm going to roll a die. Okay. Washington adds eight. Yeah. Oh, it's snow. I'm going to modify that, which I don't mind modify movements, but then it's like, now I need to decide, am I going to use this result for everyone or I'm going to roll everyone? Oh, what was Washington's movement number? Can I use Washington's movement number? Oh, no. Yeah. It's just going to be Glover's. And so like- and it, it's the same thing with the fairies, too. I kind of mentioned that, but you, when you get to a fairy, you have to roll to see how many guys can cross, which I get what they're doing there. But if you had a thousand guys in your army and you roll and only have 750 guys can cross, you have to create a detachment, leave 250 behind, 
spend the five movement points to get the other 750 across. And now it's just one more thing to track. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of, lots of tracking. And yeah. I, I get it all. I get it. It just, I get intense. what yeah, I feel like I, I think we're on the same page and I get what he's trying to do, but it takes away some of the fun of the game. Yes. Here's, here's what I thought. GCACW is a overly complex rule book with a very simple gameplay. Yeah, was, this yeah. is a, a pretty, like, I read through this rule book once and I was like, all right, ready to go, let's do it. <laughs> and felt like I grasped everything. And then I started to play and it's like, there is so much, like, bookkeeping do, to do for every thing, except really combat. Like, I actually really like the combat system as a whole. I felt combat, other than tallying up strength was pretty good but it just felt like everything had these extra steps to go through that yep. was some kind of accounting you know yeah yeah that means, i didn't i didn't hate the game it just wasn't that much fun to play now what did you oh real quick and this is nothing i would have never like rate a game off this because it's not their responsibility sometimes but, like the vassal module hasn't been updated in forever it doesn't have the automated yeah. like you're I, still keeping I track barely by played hand. it on vassal okay. I, I did play it a little bit but mostly i had to set up which actually and that's one of the positives it's it's just one map it's yep. low counter density for sure um except for the fact the american and british uh you know the strength cards that's really the only complicated part of the actual map yep. i love low counter density games yeah there's no way to that's keep one it of the things secret, i love but... about um unconditional surrender europe so much stacking is is just one so what i, I was going to say like i i liked it both ways um i don't i didn't necessarily mind the bookkeeping itself it was just hard to translate the bookkeeping to the game yeah um, so I, I liked it on the table. I liked it on Vassal and that was solo. You said you actually played this opposed sort of, um, okay. I played it with, with my daughter and with another guy who really didn't know anything about the game. So we're, I was kind of teaching them and playing it together. So okay. a little bit opposed, but not opposed against another guy that knew what he was doing. So we could get into the flow. Did you, did you get a chance? Like, like the Brits, the Brits. So the Americans don't actually get points for, um, uh, Trenton. Like, it's just assumed that the Americans are going to get it. But, like, the Brits yeah. could also get points for Philadelphia. Like, were you, like, I was so, nowhere close yeah. to even. Yeah, and basically, like, Amboy and Philadelphia, those are almost like insta-win spaces. But they're sure. at the edges of the map. Um, To be honest, I never kept score in any of the games. Okay. Just because... That, I mean, that's another thing. It's more bookkeeping. I mean, in the rule book, it's like, this city's worth three, this is worth two, this is worth six, this is worth five. I'm like, you know what? We're just going to play. Fair enough. Um, I thought the game, like, overall clipped along at, like, a GCACW pace, but it's just, it's interrupted by all these side things. Like, you move, like... Generally speaking, like you better, you gotta stick to roads. Like you, you can't go oh, marching sure, off sure. to the force, you know. Unless, so like, yeah, unless you only need to move one hex or something, you're gonna right. Be on the roads, and so like you kind of like you're not gonna be marching, you know, from Philadelphia to to Princeton in, in one turn or anything like yeah. that. So, um, it's got some naval rules in there for movement along boats and stuff, but, um. Honestly, I didn't really do too much with that. I, I, going back to the book, 
<laughs> the the book had much more interesting stuff about the Pennsylvania Navy. So yeah, I mean they're kind of there to like help you get across. Right. They're basically die yep. roll modifiers. Yeah. Um. There's no like cavalry's not in in just comparing to the GCCW nah. again. Like cavs not a deal here at all. Um, yeah. There's not even. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't. There's not even any different factors or, or modifiers or anything for militia versus regulars prussians versus british i think everything is just equal out i mean they do have efficiency ratings for the commanders so maybe that's all factored into that yeah that, i would assume that's how it's factored in i mean yeah. most of the modifiers are going to come in the form mostly for the americans in surprise and then typically your your weather and yeah. fatigue levels are kind of the main yep and then you can you can outflank and maneuver. All of that being said, I did enjoy the game. Which is the outflanking maneuver is obviously a big bonus to the Americans because, like I said, they have Easier. more smaller armies where the British have fewer bigger armies. Yeah, and I think each of them, like the Brits, can't even detach to like equal the Americans. I I don't think it's unfair, but like the Americans have the longer sheet and can create seven attachments det- detachments and the oh, yeah. brits yeah. can do five but still they only have you know 10 leaders whereas yeah. the americans have probably but honestly the uh, only time i ever created detachments is when i couldn't get my all my the guys ferry, across the river the ferry. Yeah. yeah i know and maybe i would have played better um you know like holding different roads and stuff but it's it's hard to do that solo right. um all that being said i did enjoy the game i just don't think it lived the GCACW comparison just set such a high bar. Yeah, maybe that's a problem too. I mean, when somebody tells me this is GCACW for the American Revolution, maybe I'm expecting more than it is. I wish I wish I had battles. I didn't in the... hate it. Oh, I, I didn't just hate didn't it at love all. It. Yeah. Um, Whereas GCACW, I love. Man, there are some things here I really do like. I lo- it's such a little thing. I love that the battle outcome equates to victory points if something yeah if it goes i it's it's so little but it's Which, just like again, oh, that's cool going back to history i mean during that time in history for the americans to be able to say we beat yeah. the british in a battle that's huge yep that's not something that they were expected to be able to do yeah so, so i mean I, I think it's that good. that's a victory point yeah um i mean there is this you know, one thing we haven't talked about where I talked about, like, in GCCW, you, you're, like, pressing your fatigue and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There is an, like, there is an interesting decision here, and probably more so for the Brits. Now, you're kind of capped out. I don't know you can do this because you can't go past 30, but banking those activation points. Yeah. Like, I don't, I mean, you're, the Americans are getting enough a turn where I don't think they want to be banking them because, basically, you're going to try to keep everyone right. within range of Washington. And the Americans, just for the people listening they start with more and they get more every turn right and typically wash activating washington and that whole daisy chain uses half of what they get each turn yeah and there's some guys you can activate without spinning points we don't need to go into that but what is interesting i thought is all right when do the brits start spending down once everyone's on the board because like when you start off you know like cornwallis is in there and basically grants in command and um I, I did like that. I would like to see that like expanded upon like maybe less points. So it's even more of a crucial decision. Like, all right, when do I start spending down? Yeah. 
but it didn't train like it also it sounds great but it didn't fully translate if that makes sense no i mean yes for me at least it makes total sense i mean i think this game if i could summarize it in one sentence it it it's just it's just barely off the mark yeah yep yep agreed also, like, if we were doing the GCCW thing, like, you're going to pay more for a GCCW game, but you're getting way more game in the box. Oh, sure. Because um, it's just two scenarios. Yeah. Although the Vassal scenario module does have a, a Princeton scenario, which yeah. must be, like, an extra thing. I don't know. Yeah, and even, I mean, when you say it's two scenarios, if it's you've one. played Empire of the Sun, very much the second scenario is, it's absolutely just the first scenario, skip the you're first right. turn or two. 100%. Okay. Uh, you're ready to rank it. I don't know if we need to say anything else. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so, again, I think it's pretty good. So, we're not like, we're not talking Titan Zeppelin Raider thing. Um, yeah, I played this and Titan the same day. So, I will say this is better than Titan. <laughs> I would I would say, like, kind of above those is when we get to, like, kind of the, like, eh, those are fine games. I think this is better than Angola. Just because it's got more more parts going on, and Angola just devolves to giant stacks bumping into each other yeah. with no real maneuvering. This has interesting decisions in terms of maneuver. Um, yeah. so, so I think Angola's, Angola's the 32. floor. Yeah, that's the floor so for me. You got a floor there. I'll, I'll go ahead and give it a ceiling. Okay. Uh, no way this is better than the last 100 yards. Okay, I was thinking no way it's better than Normandy 44, so... Okay, yeah, Which so right same area, 21-22, so that's probably our, our ceiling for this one. Okay. Um, Empire in Arms, which I wasn't crazy about, but I will say that Empire in Arms feels like a better game than this one. But it's it's very hard to compare a game that's going to take 100 hours versus a game that's going to take, you know, five or six hours or whatever. But I think Empire in Arms is a better game here. So here's where... I think that's fair because 1754 Conquest, uh, French and Indian War, is such a simple game. Yeah, it's a, it's like a cube game, right? It is a cube, right? But it so whereas this has interesting game rules that slightly miss the mark. They're not bad, but yeah. they sound so great on paper they just don't execute well. 1754 has these game rules that when you read them, like, okay, that's how the game ends. But when they execute, they pack what they punch way above their weight. And yeah. it's like, oh, that's actually a really cool mechanic. Now, like, combat, Washington's Crossing's combat system blows 1754, like, back eight centuries. Sure. Like, it's so much better. But 1754 does execute really well. So, somewhere around there. So, I haven't played Operation Pegasus. So I think it'll, I think we're we're narrowed in on where it needs to be, but okay. I'll let you put it in its final. I would slot. rather play Operation Pegasus. I think okay. they both have their flaws. What about so, so Pavlov's house is below seventeen fifty four, which we both played? Yeah, Pavlov's house is fun, but this is probably a better game than Pavlov's house. Yeah, um, that, I would say Pavlov's house is probably more fun than this one, in some ways at least. Um, but this is probably a better game. Yeah, if I was going to solo them, I would rather solo Pavlov's house, but um, I think this is probably better. Yeah. I think, I mean, it feels weird, but I think it's okay. Like, 1754 is so basic. Yeah. But it just works. 
I, I this is probably a little bit better. I'm gonna go just above it though. Yeah, twenty six. Yeah, low operation picks. I mean, Titan. Titan is now the fortieth best game of all time. <laughs> there you go. So I played twenty six and I played forty at our last game day. Nice. <laughs> I'm not gonna play forty one. Yeah, let's have one later. You're good. <laughs> Nice, 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 nice. I saw a few I do acres think... of snow on sale at the. Uh, it was a the, on the used game shelf, oh. the game store today for fifty two bucks, and thought, no, nope, I'm good. Yeah, I still got gonna, my copy. I'm just gonna pick up my books that I'm here to pick up. I would. Uh, I've considered selling mine because I don't think it's in print, <laughs> and I've got uh, Hands in the Sea, which is a similar game. I've been curious to play. Uh, I, I just want to add What's real Hands quick. In the sea? It's a follow-up game. It's a, like, someone made a game kind of based off Few Acres of Snow for the Peloponnesian War. Judd Vance is a huge fan of it. I haven't played it, but supposedly it's pretty good. Um, I think we were really harsh on Washington's Crossing. I personally think it's a very... It's like a solid 7 out of 10 for BGG, in my opinion. Yeah, that... And I, I don't want to speak go for a little you. below that, but okay. yeah, it's it's in that area. Yes, it's it's not a bad game. I would play it again. Um, it's just it's got some issues. Here's here's where like where maybe we can actually be of service to our listeners. Have you played Battles of the American Revolution from GMT? Any of those? I have not. Okay. I have one of them, and I haven't gotten to the table yet. So I've got Savannah. That's the I only think one I have. If so if you were asking yourself, would you get this or would you get one of those games? I felt like I could move around the map more freely. Yeah. It was less burdened with little nitpicky things in the GMT series. Yeah. If if you like that or if you like this kind of broader scale and like timing counterattacks, then then I would go with this. I think as a whole, and they're they're very different games. I would I'm leaning more towards the GMT series, a little bit more than this one. If that helps anyone, yeah. Um, I was gonna see, but it's worth noting that this is only a forty five dollar game. And so we're comparing it to what's like the most recent GCACW, 120 bucks. Well, uh, GCACW. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I uh, was thinking. Uh, oh yeah, those American. are like 60. The the new battles. Yeah, right. So uh, a 45 dollar game, you're getting a solid game, in my opinion. Just being nitpicky tonight, I guess. Yeah. Uh, nice. I meant to. I meant to say before we went to the featured game that we've actually got a top five segment oh, right. tonight. So um, this spawned from Rich. You may or may not remember, but I do. Last time, I think we were talking about how Pax Pamir and Magic: The Gathering Commander blew me away. Both of them with the player interaction, like yeah. Here's a game in Washington's Crossing where you just do your thing. There's no negotiating. There's no deal making. It's really absent. And then it it got me thinking like, okay, what are the games we like to play that have so our top five politicking games where you're making deals, you're wheeling and dealing and, and negotiating. And personally for me, I left off coin and root yeah, uh, because 
difference those, between kingmaker and politicking. You, you nailed it. Exactly. Yeah. Because in coin, it's like, hey, everyone, we've got to stop the the Vietnamese or like the American player right now. Even like his ally with the the in, um with the Arvin, like we've got to stop him or he's gonna win. You're not making any future deals or and same thing with Root. It's like oh, someone's got to stop the Woodland Alliance right now. Or we're all gonna lose. Like we all need to pile on him. You're yeah. not all negotiating. Like hey, if you knock out Rich right now, I won't attack you next turn or something like that. And one game that didn't make the list for me that I thought about, and it, it's going to change how I play that game going forward, is Space Empires 4X. I haven't played that one, but it's on BGA now. Oh, really? I think that one, yeah. It's, nice. I think so, oh, yeah. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, it um, might still be in uh, Alpha, you know, Premium or whatever they call it, but I think it is there now. I'm pretty sure. I'd have to go back and read the rules, which is why I didn't rank it. I've only also played it once, although... There's a game on here. Whatever, whatever, we'll get to it. It has changed, like, this thought process, like, wow, how great would Space Empires 4X be, like, if you're, like, hey, you don't cross this asteroid belt for the next three turns, and I won't cross it, you know? Like, it, I think yeah. it just adds that extra layer to it. Um, so that just missed for me, because, yeah. like... So, have you played Civilization? Like, the PC game or the board game? With the board game. I have not played the board game. Okay. So civilization, kind of the same way. You all start off on the map and, and basically one of the first things you do is you look at your neighbor and you say, where's the line, you know, and, and you both agree to not cross that line, knowing that at some point one of you is going to cross that line. So a similar situation. Yeah. I think like, I really think it would enhance the game. I really liked what I saw the first time I played it. Um, And I think, Basically, the short of this list has been, like, how much games are enhanced by deal-making. So, here we go. We have our top five politicking games. We'll go uh, five to one. And, yeah, yeah, I'll start. Uh, So, my number five was Twilight Imperium, which I think would be a game that would only climb in the ranks. Um, And we're going to, like, hear more on it from Rich. But I just haven't played it enough. And the game I played it in wasn't negotiating heavy like i think everyone yeah. was just trying to get it under their belt and was play with guys that are learning to play yeah. yeah yeah big difference once and it doesn't even take long i mean like your second or third game it becomes a much better game than it is in your first game nice uh for me number five and this is kind of what you're talking about maybe this leans more toward uh king making or or at least defense of you know jump on the leader what innovation innovation you've got to be looking at your opponents and uh board state and you have to be looking at them and saying hey you know what this guy's about to do something we need to make sure we get more leafs on the board or something like that but a little bit of politicking because obviously what you really want is your opponent to take a uh, inferior turn so that you don't have to Nice. Yeah, I mean, I I get it. And even my number one choice, I think there's a fine line between a pile on the leader game and maybe king making is not the right word because then you're intentionally making someone win. And those are two different things, but I think they both have some, you know, Venn diagram overlap. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, Especially the game allows you to make future deals. Now, there are some games I didn't think about because you're uh, Genesis. Genesis, yeah. I we're back to playing Genesis. I'm really enjoying it. I forgot. Yeah, to I saw Genesis. you started that back up again. I really want to play that. I've only mm-hmm. played it once. 
that game is hindered by how you're able to negotiate. And I get it. It's a bird game. So he's got this. He's got rules for strictly historical purposes. And here you cannot negotiate or make alliances without one very specific card. And it's only valid for one turn. So even if someone's running away with the game, technically I'm not allowed to be like, hey, guys, that game would be so much better if I could be like, all right, I will give you this city if you don't attack me for the next, uh, you know, all of the rest of your activation shit. It would be so good. I was just playing the whole time like, oh, man, if we could wheel and deal, like Egypt and I would just like run Hulkamania over (laughs) the rest of Europe. You're playing Babylon. I am Babylon and he's yeah. Egypt. So we're already the powerhouses, but like, yeah, the one time I played, I played Babylon and I was doing really well. And I forgot that just because I can advance into everyone else's territories doesn't mean no one can come up from behind me. And someone played the card that, you know, brought oh, the bar- yeah. barbarians up from my, my rear and just wiped me out. I've got that pretty well garrisoned, but like, <laughs> I would love to be, so someone is the, the mitts. Uh, Jonathan is the mitts. Yeah. And, like, I want to tell him that, like, we're now fighting. But, like, two turns ago, I really wanted to be like, let's make a deal. Like, you are sandwiched between all three of us, and he desperately needs to negotiate in that game. So, there's a game. I know I just went down a rabbit hole. That that game is very prohibited by the rules of the deals you could make. But yeah. I know it's a game that would be better if you could. So Yeah. All right. My number four, a Game of Thrones board game. Which was one of the like first games that we played a lot. And when my brother bought this, it was like early on the show going on, and we just played it. I, I remember like sessions where my brother would get so pissed. <laughs> and there's just good deal making. Yeah. And I mean, you have to because of the different like player positioning and like the faction positioning and you know, like there's gotta be some politicking going on because you've gotta you gotta deal with the um the threat from everything north of the wall. Um, good, solid, um, not your typical hex and ha- counter war game, but like a Euro war game that is a lot of fun. Yeah. Never played it. I'd like to though. Yeah. I think once everyone, it's one of those ones, like it's got a lot of like Chrome that makes it kind of a dog to like chew off. I think, um, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to like, I don't think someone accustomed to war games or like reading a war game rule book would struggle with it. Um, but we certainly did when we were first learning games. Yeah. Uh, for me, number four is Root, um, which, again, a lot of overlap in between Jump on the Leader and politicking. But um, my favorite faction playing Root is the Woodland Alliance, just because I love the hell out of them. But one of the most interesting, especially as far as politicking goes, I, I think the Vagabond is oh. really interesting to play. And the, the Vagabond is all about politicking. That so. is, that's a good point. And yeah. I shouldn't have disqualified Root for that because I just thought about like how much better I like playing the Vagabond, and yeah. I think it's you can. And if win. you've ever played a three-player game without the Vagabond in it, it's a totally different game. The Vagabond needs to be in that game. Also, I think like that just makes me want to enhance my Vagabond play. Like yeah. instead <laughs> of just doing what I'm doing, like hey, if I come do this, because yeah. I don't think the game prohibits that. No, nope. yeah, I mean, but I yeah. think. Most about every time I've played, I've just, like, kind of done it. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. I didn't think about the back one. Nice. Uh, we have a tie at number three. Yeah, tie. And I'll, I'll let you talk about this more, but this is one of the games that kind of spawned this list, and this is my play of Pax Pamir. 
Yeah. So for me, yeah, I just considered the PAX series. There's a bunch in the series. I've only played two. I've played Premier and Preferiana, but they're close enough in that they both fit well on this list. And it's all, I mean, literally, they're they're literally about politicking. They're about, you know, in the case of Preferiana, you are playing sort of the the Mexican high-ranking elites plotting to overthrow the president and you want everyone to help you do that, but you want to be the guy that's on top when it happens. Pamir, sort of the same way. You are not the powers in this game. The Afghanis, the Brits, and the Russians are the powers. You're the guys trying to manipulate the powers in order to get what you want out of the game. So the Pax Pamir, the Pax games, I think are great for politicking. Yep. And the politicking is, it's not only that like, hey, we've got to stop Zach. Um, there's also like, Hey, will you let me activate this card yeah. and not pay you like yep. it all which you can do, which can is do great this without a bribe. Well, yep. no, yes. Or, yeah. or maybe yes, because I'm going to get more out of it than you are. Yeah. And I'm sure like I, uh, the rules were explained to me, but I'm just assuming how those games are structured. Like you could say, yeah, if you don't use it to do this. Yeah. Uh, nice. All right. My number two, um, is going to show up later on, on yours, but uh, <laughs> to quote the dice tower there. But I don't think we need to like hide it or anything. It's Here I Stand. Yeah. And what I will say for Here I Stand is there's different levels of politics in here. At the end, the game devolves into pile on the leader. We all have to stop France to the extent we can this turn. And that's not the politicking I'm talking about. The politicking I'm talking about is the deal making that happens each turn and the deals you make, like you break into your little conferences and go negotiate and you have to announce certain things to the room. Like, Hey, we have a standing alliance or we've agreed to do this or that. That's the stuff that just makes this game. You're not playing England as like this little solitaire person. You're making deals and it just enhances it. Yeah. And then you have the the kind of the the pile on the leader at the end stuff. Yeah. And I had this obviously number one on my list. And the reason I put this number one is because if I could imagine here I stand without politicking, it's it's not nowhere near what a good game it is. I mean, we've got it. I think it's number 10 on our list or something. If I can imagine that game without politicking, you know, it's probably down in the 20s or something. So the difference between that game with politicking without politicking is so huge that that's why it's number one on my list. Nice. And there's other games. I mean, I've never played Virgin Queen. I really want to, um, but sort of the sequel to Here I Stand. So could go on the list as well. Nice. All right, you're number two. Uh, my number two was Twilight Imperium, which you had higher on the list, but um, Twilight Imperium is such a fascinating game to me because it looks very much like a war game. I mean, you got big hexes, you got spaceships, you have battles and stuff like that. Um, most of the time, if you're getting in a lot of battles in Twilight Imperium, you're going to lose the game. The person that is able to avoid the battles through politicking is usually the person that's going to win that game. And that's what I love about it. Sometimes you have to fight. Um, and sometimes it's fun to fight, uh, even if it is not necessarily the best way to win the game. But I, Twilight Imperium is such a subtle game of it looks like one thing and it really is another. That That's why it's one of my favorite games. Nice. All right, my number one. And this is a little bit of a new hotness thing. I need to like, play this with you. <laughs> it's it's so ridiculous, Rich, especially when everyone's on like an equal power level. 
Okay, a little bit of new hotness, but we're having so much fun on our playgroup with it, and that's uh, Magic the Gathering Commander. A couple caveats here. It's It's got to be four-player only. One-on-one commander, like one-on-one historic brawl. I, I'm enjoying those things, sure, fine, but like what this boils down to is there is very... Because the rules are so loose around this format of play, that means your deals can be loose. You can break deals, that, but you're going to be remembered as the guy like, well, I'm not going to make a deal with the rich because like he attacked me after he said he won it. But you can do things like, hey, guys, I'll kill Rich's creature, but like you guys can't mess with my board for the next three turns. <laughs> or and like, is that, according to the game rules, is that a binding agreement? N- no. Okay. I mean... But, like, you don't want to be a dick. Like, it is a binding agreement as good as your word is. Yeah, like, there's okay. no, like, explicit rule. Because there are some like, games that specifically say in the rules, if it doesn't happen right now, it's not binding. Yes. Right. Right. And this, it's, you're not encouraged to break rules. And, um, and then there's, like, play on words. Like, hey, all right, if I kill Rich, that's going to leave me vulnerable to you two. You guys promise not to attack me next turn. Okay, <laughs> sure, I promise not to attack you. Sure, okay, I'll, I'll throw a fireball at your face for the last five damage <laughs> and, like, kill you that way. But, like, oh, you said attack, and that's valid. And so <laughs> then, like, but then there's other, like, there's politicking like that, and then there's, like, more subtle politicking. Like, hey, guys, I'm going to play this card, and, like, if you attack me, I'm going to block with it, and you'll draw a card, and I'll draw a card. And then, like, hey, Rich, yeah, you attack him. You draw a card, and I draw a card. And, like, that seems like fair to everyone but then when you walk when the turn's over i've drawn three cards you have all drawn one cards i'm up you know you know two cards on all of you mm-hmm. and so there's like subtle like deals you can make or like encouragement or i don't know it's just it's really fun yeah. and you can't take it like i don't want to play with anyone that takes it very serious because like your shit's gonna die your whole boards are gonna get blown up <laughs> Uh, but it's the deal making and the and negotiating. The, the hundred cards obviously makes it very random. Yeah, I mean, like, like if you're playing at a pretty with. casual level, like if you're playing pretty competitively, those decks, even with a hundred cards, are refined or have cards that let you find what you need really? to go like okay. win in like two or three turns or even one turn. Wow. If you really, yeah, it's insane. We're not playing at that level. Um, I don't know. It's just like the shit talking, and it's fun. From a strictly politicking, you know, standpoint, it would be my number one. Hmm. Have you ever played Churchill? No, which is okay. a good a good segue. So we have a we have a patron, uh, Patreon, and you can join our Patreon, and you can join a live chat, which I've got to get scheduled for September before the month is over, which I will do. We can hang out. You can, if you join at the right level, you can put a game on every board game list. Also, Rich and I have started spoiling our. Uh, featured games to the patrons early and then also we've like asked them to provide comments on those games or uh you know submit their top picks for politicking games so we have a couple of those and uh churchill was from both of them so Bo said i'll throw churchill in the mix only played it once but a very enjoyable experience i think having half the board showing the conference negotiation the other half showing the war simulation is really cool really tight three-player game so have you played it I have. I played it once, um, and I wasn't crazy about it. Um, I don't know what it was, um, but all three of us just sort of felt empty, and maybe it's because we went into it thinking it was going to be something that's not. Mm. Um, World War II was definitely the sideshow. Um, but interestingly enough, the, the same three of us, after we played Churchill, we played Pericles, which feels like the next 
iteration of Churchill, and we all enjoyed it a lot more. So um, I, I'd be curious to hear how other people that have played Churchill and Pericles compare the two. We enjoyed Pericles quite a bit. We were all left a little flat on Churchill. And then another one actually to throw into that mix is Versailles 1919, which I have not played, but I think it's along the same vein. Yeah, I think it's in the same Churchill series, right? Yeah. I could be uh-huh. wrong. If it's not technically a series game, it might as well be, yeah. Ross threw out Churchill's well, and he said it was his favorite in the category. And so he had two games that kind of boiled down to the same point that, like, the games aren't worth it without the negotiation and politicking. So yeah. he says Churchill's his favorite in the category. Uh, for of games fundamentally built around politicking, not even a game there without negotiating. And he says TI four, yeah, you can play without negotiating, but it's mediocre without the politicking. Especially, it sounds like if everyone knows the game. Yep, agreed. He had a third one that I thought was pretty interesting. I didn't think about it at all because when we played, I don't remember much negotiating as well. Yeah. So Maria, Maria, and I have played that game as well. And I don't remember much negotiating it. The thing I remember about Maria and we only played it once, but I remember it left and this is part of the game, but obviously fighting a battle could leave you very vulnerable to a counterattack basically. Uh Yeah. And if the game allows it, and I think, I think his, um, his closing comment is kind of like wraps up my my thoughts on once I played PAX and once we started playing Commander is that the heights that games reach once you start politicking and negotiating. Because as much as I love U.S. Civil War or as much as I love I'm trying to think of like a four player war game, there's no deal making. There's no yeah. I mean, anytime a game only has two sides, even if it's a four player game, there's not going to be politicking. You've right. You have multiple axes. You do. And it's kind of like it's and it's not a critique by by me. Like some people criticize Euro games by like, oh, that's just a solitaire Euro game where you're just playing your own game. You're not really interacting. Multiplayer solitaire. Multiplayer solitaire. Yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. And that got me thinking like, well, that's basically what war games are. Like, yeah. I mean, you're going to execute your plan kind of <laughs> just, regardless of what I do. So how interesting would it be if you could play an American Revolution game and one player is Benedict Arnold and nice. you can get him to, like, yeah. turn over West Point? Right. <laughs> yeah, like, I would love to, like, what if that's what coin was? Yeah. I mean, like, what if the French don't come in? Like, it would probably be a very uninteresting game for the French player, but, right. like, I mean... Anyways, so that's kind of what, and I thought that was a good point by Ross that like the the bettering games through politics, and in my case, except for Pax because like Pax was amazing, I think all of the games I listed here I stand, Magic the Gathering, Game of Thrones, Twilight Imperium are all just enhanced when people are willing. Like if I just sat down and play a game of Commander and people just did their thing, it's like okay, who's the first person to do the cool thing and win? But if you negotiate in politic, then it just changes it. And with Game of Thrones, then you can shut down powerful people and last longer than you need. Or, I guess, make wacky deals and hear a sand or something. I don't know. So, yeah. there you go. Top five politicking games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Twilight Imperium and Here I Stand, I will play as many times as I have the opportunity to do so. 
In fact, we're already, um, I think, like sometime between the end of October and the beginning of November. Hopefully, I'm gonna get to play both of those games in about two or three weeks. Nice. Yeah, I've got to get. Uh, I've got to email everyone and probably put the December one on the calendar. Yeah. For online. Because uh, I want to make that like an annual thing, if not semi-annual. Nice. Uh, we've got a few listener questions. Should we do those? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, Jason asks, what are good starter kits for someone wanting to paint, say, four minis without spending a bunch of money? Yeah. Uh, I got an easy answer for that one. So Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion. I think it comes with literally four minis. Gloomhaven is an amazing game, and Jaws of the Lion is like the intro Gloomhaven game. So instead of pending... Instead of spending a hundred bucks for it, you're going to be spending like 45 bucks for it. You get a smaller version that introduces you to the game, four minis. And I haven't actually played Jaws of the Lion, but it's Gloomhaven and it's really good. Yeah. So I think knowing the types of game Jason plays, I would say either I would go a couple different routes. Like the easy route is you can get like an army painter kit, which will come with like four generic elf fantasy guys with your paints with your primer so that gets you everything you need so you can start learning some things they've also done that with some D &D stuff now you only get one mini but it's usually a pretty cool mini and you get all of the paint needed to paint them and you get some pretty cool shades of paint so you're not just getting like red blue gold green white you get like dark purple and dark red to do like this cool bad guy the other way, like if you have the paints and the primer and stuff, is you could go get like the D and D, the Whiz Kid minis. Yeah, those are actually like I bought a little dwarf guy. I didn't finish him for my RPG game, and like then I bought like so I bought the little dwarf sorcerer, and then they had like little kegs. And since he's like a brewer, then I like glued the keg to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd either get like one of the painting kits geared to that purpose, or get individual miniatures for that game i wouldn't get like a um like a games workshop thing just because they're so expensive to start unless you're like or like if you're completely confident what you're doing like yeah absolutely go for it or just like find the game you're interested and get a couple little guys to practice on so every time i've ever painted minis it's been for a game that i was planning on playing but a few months ago uh, we were at Miniature Market and we were just sort of browsing the uh, like the clearance rack and everything. And my daughter found this dragon. I mean, it wasn't not huge. It was like, but it was bigger than average. It was maybe six inches tall and it was on sale for like four bucks or something. She's like, I want to get that and I want to paint it. So um, we did that. I was painting some other stuff while she was painting that, but uh, she had a great time. That That was the first time either of us have ever painted something just to paint it. Nice. Yeah. yeah. There you go. And they have like one of the like, um, I want to say it's WizKids, the D&D minis basically. Like you can get the green dragon and that's mm-hmm. one of the things I started with was the big old green dragon from that. And although you can get some really big ones. So yeah, dive in and then pile it up and let it accumulate and collect dust is the best way to learn. All right. What game that gets a lot of love did you just completely bounce off of and how fast did it happen? <laughs> From art, you want to go first, or you want me to go first? You can go first. Uh, I think it's probably Twilight Struggle. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of people, or I mean, they really do call that. A lot of people love it. It's a great 
GMT's bestseller of all time. It's considered the best war game of all time. Um, and it wasn't immediate for me. I mean, I literally have never played that game on the table. I've never played it in cardboard, but I own it for on Steam and iPad. And I played it a few times, and I, I even still play it sometimes. I don't hate it, um, but... Often I'll play it once or twice and go, yeah, this is just the same game over again and I'll, I'll delete it again. So um, I would say how long did it take me to bounce off of, I don't know, maybe 10 plays before I figured out that this this wasn't the game that I had been led to believe it was. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment. I've I certainly started really high in Twilight Struggle when my brother and I first played it uh, a long time ago. And it's just every time I've gone back to it, nothing matches that first play and it all boils down to not enjoying my actions but the king of that in the game i probably bounced off hardest and fastest and was most excited for was koopa libre yeah yeah played it sold that one i've played it i used to use it to teach like if i had a brand new person and they came to war game day or something i'd use that to just sort of teach them how to play a war game but all all of my other you know comments on coin aside which i've I've talked about fine it's this was the biggest miss for me hands down i i didn't like the actions that any of the actions are taking i didn't like my goals in the game and it's just not what i want out of a war game and that's what it was marketed to me as and so i just hit it and bounced and said i'm never playing that again yeah now I did play it two player, but I don't think a four player experience is really going to change my opinion of that one. So, yeah, I've played right. it both ways, and I sold it. So, I like I, I th- I've said this before, but I hung on to eh, I think three games. I think I've got Falling Sky, I've got the American Revolution one, and oh no, I think I've got four games because I have the three, the two, and the three player games as well: All Bridges Burning and Col- Colonial Twilight, and then. Uh, oh, and I had the Vietnam one, so I guess maybe I have five still. But um, I don't play them that much anymore, but those I will hold on to. You know, I know you said you weren't going to buy them. And I, I know you, I think you mentioned this one specifically too. Like, I, I was thinking about Red Dust Rebellion the other day. Yeah. And like, I want to try that one. I'll probably be let down by it, but I do want to sure try I'll it. I'm sure I'll play it because someone will own it, but sure. I'm not. It's going to have to be pretty amazing for me to buy it. And then speaking of um, games coming out, Bo asks, are there any pre-orders that are you looking forward to in the next few months? It's hard to know what's coming out in the next few months. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I would say that the two imminent pre-orders that I'm most looking forward to are Vietnam 65 to 75 and Pacific War. Yeah, so this is the, the Bo's question is our transition to our uh, GMT monthly update because <laughs> uh, we're timed pretty close to them again, although it's, you guys have probably all seen it. Um, yeah, I, I basically like, I don't think any of the MMP stuff is coming out soon that I have, but Vietnam to 65 to 75 is in the art department. I'm not sure where that's actually at, but uh, U.S. Civil War, second printing, there's one. That's at the printer. Um, Red Winter is getting close, which I've been waiting for for a very long time. Uh, I mean, we could probably just go through the GMD update and find 
what's coming out most recent and i'm sure there's yeah. something in there let's see I'm okay sure you you probably pre-ordered the uh last hundred yards solomon islands yes I yes. don't know when that'll be out, though. So uh, Salerno 43 is another one. Yep. I don't think that one's imminent, um, but definitely. Okay, here's your here's your at the printers for GMT, because I don't think I might be on the MBT second printing. I don't remember. Um, nothing that's shipping now, but Into the Woods is coming for yep. Shiloh, Yep. which I think we're both interested in. Yep. Pacific War, you've already mentioned. Salerno 43. U.S. Civil War. Solomon Islands. Vietnam 65 to 75. Um, that may be it for me. Yeah, I can't What's think. Plains Indians Wars? I mean, obviously, I talked about just pre-ordering Aerocord, oh, but obviously that just went up for pre-order like right. a week ago, so that's not imminent by any means. There you go. That's a pretty good chunk there. So, uh, I would say that's my most anticipated. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, there was our GMT update. Uh, a couple uh, other things. While we're on GMT update, yeah. though, I mean, oh, yeah, the, we should probably talk about stuff. the new stuff. Did yeah. that interest you at all? Uh, yeah. Okay, so I thought this was a typo, and then like I realized it wasn't. Like I, I tried to make a witty joke, but then I realized it was a <laughs> dumb joke. That was probably a dumb joke anyway. So Cross Bronze Expressway sounds super interesting. And I was like, oh, they left like their filler in and it's game designed by non-breaking space. I guess that's a thing or a designer or design group or something. But Cross Bronx Expressway is like urban development in New York. Yeah. It's some kind of Euro conflict game and it's just <laughs> yeah. it's really appealing. Like I'm... I'm very so, interested. I'm not like blind P five hundred it, right. but um, so I saw that and I thought, huh? That's yeah. like literally like the the expression I had. I'm like, I don't know what to think about this. Like if so, it's I'm not gonna P five hundred it, but it's a GMT game, so it's gonna show up at miniature market. Um, but on the other hand, if it turns out to be amazing, like Atlantic Chase, it's gonna sell out, and I won't get a copy of it anyway. So I don't know. Um, I'm not planning on ordering that one. I just, I thought, huh, that looks different. <laughs> what about, so there were two games. There was that one and then there was Inferno. Which right, is and the, that's the next Volco, what is it, Levy campaign? campaign. Yeah. So, yeah. and we've talked about this before. I mean, I have uh, uh, Nevsky, haven't played it. I don't know why I haven't played it. I just, I haven't played it yet. So, this is volume three now in the, 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 the Nevsky series. The other one was what Almoravid or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. haven't played it. So I'm, I'm obviously not going to pre-order this one, but I, I don't know why I'm not playing this game. <laughs> agree. Agree. A hundred percent with the only thing I'll add that I have. Um, Almoravid is on the, uh, at the printer list and I have that one. You did. So, okay. Or I, it's on my P five hundred, so I better like at least play one of them before I. Yeah. Otherwise, like I'd be all over this, um, but I should probably play those first. That was pretty much it, though. I mean, that was the big stuff on the GMT update. There wasn't a whole lot this time. Yeah, I saw the new games, and then I scrolled down to the like at the printer stuff when it came out, and then um, I didn't see a whole lot about that. So, yeah. or anything else that caught my. Uh, nice. Okay. Uh, speaking of new stuff, did you see the Blade Runner RPG was announced from Free League? I did. Yeah. 
I am super interested in that you're playing as cops. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I assume it's going to get a very similar treatment to Alien, um, which is just a fantastic RPG product. So I have full faith in whatever they're going to do with that. Very interested, but then it got me thinking so of a that question. One, is that one getting kickstarted? How's that coming out? So I don't know because Free League has done both. They've had okay. Kickstarter campaigns before, and then they've also like with Alien, it was just like a pre-order through their website. Like they, okay. I think they were printing it no matter what happened. So like Blade Runner is probably big enough IP to do that, but they also kickstarted the One Ring stuff. So I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Um, my guess is the pre-order route because like they already have the website up and running for it, and I don't remember them doing that for the One Ring, but that's what they did for Alien. So we'll see. Okay. That did lead me down to a question. I think we've asked a similar question before, but in terms of board games. So, do you have like a dream IP or something like that to make an RPG setting? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, for me, RPGs are... I mean, you could you could literally take the setting and, and put it into just a D20 system or whatever, so... You know, it leads to the old question of does system matter? Um, and I, I think that system and setting need to find some sort of harmonizing point where they meet together and everything is, you know, angels and rainbows and all that. So just a setting by itself, I'm not sure that there's like one thing that would immediately get me to do it because often when I see anything for a new PG, RPG, I'm looking to see what is the setting, the system as well. Because if it's just... If it's another D20 setting, then I'm less likely to do it rather than, you know, if they've got some something new that that makes it unique and makes it feel like that setting rather than um, just this, uh, you know, a system ag- uh, agnostic setting. So that was a very long way to say there's no one thing <laughs> that I would just demand to have. Yeah, I think uh, last time I was asked this. Um, on a, on another deal, the AAC wall was Hellboy, but then I found out there was a GURPS Hellboy, and then they yeah. now there's the Hellboy Kickstarter. And my take on kind of what you have said is like I'm fine with those things, but someone's got to do the work for me. Yeah, like sure you could go take Genesis or GURPS or do whatever and do it yourself, but like I just want the source book. Uh, so like, is there anything that I would really want to do? Um, like when Hellboy comes out, that's going to be at the top of my agenda. I think that's going to be a really fun IP to play around in. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it was very good, but like, and it exists, but like Witcher would be really fun. Like in the sense of, yeah, not yeah, like the show, but like in the original field of books and even a certain the video games where it's kind of like you are a monster hunter in almost like i don't want to say fairy tale-esque but very like monster of the week yeah with the kind of the clue discovering and finding out about the monsters i think that'd be really cool i just don't think they delivered on it yeah it's interesting because i was actually just talking to some friends and we just we found out that each other play D &D and He's like, oh, you know, we should invite you to our Sunday sessions and all this. And I was just talking about part of it is because of COVID and everything. But it seems like a lot of the RPG groups now are really gravitating more toward one shots just Uh because it's hard to find 
a group that is committed to staying and maybe not just a one shot, but at the very least a short series, right. you know, two or three games of the, of the same setting. But, um, and, and what made me think of that is you're talking about monster of the week, which really lends itself perfectly to that rather than, I don't know a whole lot about the Witcher. I saw season one in Netflix. I was, it was kind of weird. And it was one of those things where I thought, this is worth watching season two, but I didn't love season one. I just kind of want to see where it goes, but it seems like there's a lot of backstory there that would lend itself to something longer, but monster of the week is, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but it's easy. It's easy to find four people and say, who can be here on this day? We're going to do monster of the week. Right. And so like how I think that would work well with Witcher and this, like the RPG is out there. It just came out like a year or two ago. I just don't think it's very good. Yeah. Didn't have great reviews. So it's kind of a pointless discussion. But what I think would be interesting is how the game works is like, all right, Rich, let's say you have to go kill uh, this werewolf or you have to go kill like one of the first missions you can do in the in the most recent Witcher game is go kill this spirit that's haunting a well. Mm-hmm. And like you have to do some basic investigating to even get to that point. And then once you do that, you can go kill it or you can spend more time finding more clues, more secrets, and then like start uncovering we- uh, weaknesses or like get more of the story, like what's actually created the spirit. So like mm-hmm. I think you could do that in an RPG and be like, all right, uh, there's a werewolf, you know, running rampant through St. Louis. Like, cool, you can go hunt it down, kill it and move on. Or like you could reward players that like want to investigate. I think that'd be a really cool payoff. Everything you you're describing is making me wish, miss our aborted witch hunter game. Oh man, <laughs> that was, that's so much promise. <laughs> so much promise. Nice. All right. Well, uh, okay. The last uh, we're running late, but when fall starts, one of my like favorite things to do is identify a couple things to read that are are spooky. Mm-hmm. And last year. One of my favorite things I read was The Elementals by Michael McDowell. Michael McDowell is a screenwriter. Hey, you told me about that before. Yeah. Well, I, I've talked about it on the show. Michael McDowell is a screenwriter for Nightmare Before Christmas and Beetlejuice, and he's passed away, but he's written these great Southern Gothic horror books. And so I'm going to double dip into the Southern Gothic horror. He's written something called The Blackwater Saga. So I'm going to listen to that. It's like 30 hours of all these different books combined together. Yeah, and and then I'm gonna reread. Um, I started this last year and ended up switching to Rachel Rising, which is another kind of horror uh, comic book. And then there's something called Harrow County, which is a Southern Gothic horror mm. uh, comic book by Colin Bunn. Are kind of my my spooky reads on the agenda. I don't know. Do you ever get in like that mindset, like a time of the year? You know, when I get into the mindset, um, it's not it's not something that I read a lot of, but like every probably like read like one book every other year, but I really like the uh, Dresden books. Nice. Yeah. And okay. I've read, yeah. I want to say like maybe four of them. I know there's a whole bunch more, but you know, maybe this is about the time of the year when like, yeah, hey, I really need to read the next one. So there you go. Yeah. I've read, a, I've read the first one and I think I started the second one and yeah. just like, they're just good fun the, reads. Sure. I mean, yeah. Yep. Agreed. I've got another one. Last year I found a someone, published and i put on bgg at one point like here's the the best scary story or scary book for each state oh yeah i remember seeing that list yeah 
and I, I don't remember what Missouri's was, but I've got another one I've got earmarked here is Kill Creek uh, by Scott Thomas. Yeah. And I think that's Kansas's book. And I think I found the elementals through that list for Alabama. Yeah. Anyways. I think we talked about that before, probably around this time last year. Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. Nice. All right, anything else? Uh, No, not really. Game days are... Very. Uh, how's your uh, your local gaming group doing? As far as your like your monthly, I because haven't, ours I haven't is started back up. Okay, we started ours, but it's it's very slow going. I think. Yeah. I think it's a combination of people are not in the habit of doing it. I don't knowing our people. I don't think it's that they're scared to come back or anything like that. I think I think they're just not in the habit of it anymore. So, um, hopefully, they'll continue to build up because face to face is nice. For sure. Yeah, if I really had the itch, like, which isn't, this isn't about me with the group, like, I could just go do ASL. I just, I haven't had the interest to do it just with how things are. So Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else? Uh, no, I think that's it. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us. If you need more of us, we have a Discord. Just drop me an email or ask Rich or someone else. Anyone yeah. can invite you to it. Currently on our Discord channel, I am marking the number of games that the St. Louis Cardinals have won in a row, which is up to 15 now. 15? First time they've done it. Yeah, that's a franchise record for them, which is pretty impressive for a team that's been around 140 years. Yeah. Yeah. It Well, it's impressive. I mean, what they're doing is uh, insane. I'm loving it. As much as I hate the Cardinals, it's uh, it makes for good baseball, and, and baseball yeah. needs good storylines. Yeah. So, Blues are uh, playing a preseason game right now, or may, may have actually already ended, but hockey's going. Yeah, it's we've a got time. a hockey. My wife and I have a hockey opening weekend. We did opening night two years ago, but yeah. like the Thursday night's just hard. So we're going to do opening weekend. We'll do the Saturday and uh, – uh, make hurricanes and jet pilots and watch yeah. the hurricanes and jets play. And the blues are going to be playing a preseason game in Kansas city this year. They are. And I think it's sold out. And also like, I'm not going to an indoor sporting event. I'm not like <laughs> anyone doing it. I'm just not yeah. going to do it myself. So, yeah. um, yeah, that was, so all, we've got that was all because you mentioned discord. <laughs> yep. We've got a discord. You can join it. There's a Facebook group, not really much going on in the Facebook group, but Discord's I guess if you want to be discord is a place to be or Twitter, um, or we have a Patreon. You can join our Patreon. Just search History on the Table, and you can join, and you can get the little scoop on what's coming. Join us for live chat and do a uh, every war game ever. Join our Discord, or the other place to see what's going on is our Twitter accounts. Uh, Rich, where can they find you on Twitter? On uh, Twitter, I am Trapeer Jr. And I am at History Table Pod, at History Table Pod. You can shoot us an email. I got an email from Finland the other month. So that was cool to hear from them. Uh, they joined our Discord. Uh, hello to all our Finnish listener. Uh, you can send us an email, historytablepodcast at gmail.com, historytablepodcast at gmail.com. That's going to do it. We'll be back next month. Excellent. We'll have to play something spooky. Oh, I, too bad. I bet. Um, I bet what's his name? The GMT zombie game that's coming out. Oh, probably that's won't right. Be on yeah, time. I, don't think I, I assume it won't even be out. Yeah. Yep. Next, so this is your favorite next spooky fall. war games. Games to play by candlelight. 
my little one and I, my 11-year-old, we, or 12, she's 12 now, uh, we just started playing Arkham Horror, the card game. So I'll oh, report on that. Oh, so good. I wish yeah. I had, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't stay in that game. I need someone to play it. Um, speaking of games played by Candlelight, there is an RPG called... Tin Candles. Tin Candles. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I would love to, if you have a spooky played, war game. I I do want to hear it. Let us know. What's the one with the Jenga towers at Dread? Oh yeah, I think we so. That I saw that played a few years ago. Did you like it? Yeah, it was fine. It was fine. Okay, I've seen it. It was played at uh, like an open RPG day at the uh, when I I played Tales from the Loop and then someone was playing that. Uh, I guess Dread. So. All, All right, right, folks. I think I'm gonna have to play ten characters. There you go. All right. Good night. Good night, everyone.